0: Welcome to the Jewish Diaspora Report. On this episode, in honor of Black History Month, we are going to explore the origins of the Ethiopian Jewish community, their escape to the land of Israel, and the current challenges they face. Let's get started. The Jewish community of Ethiopia had been established in somewhere around the destruction of the First Temple in 587 BCE. The origins of the Ethiopian Jews are unclear, although some do believe that they are descendants of the King of Israel Solomon and Queen Sheba. Scholars once believed that during the Middle Ages, the Beta Israel, or Ethiopian Jews, were a homogenous group living under a unified, autonomous Jewish rule. Yet new discoveries shown that it's a little bit more complex than that. Sometimes Beta Israel or the Ethiopian Jews were treated well by the Ethiopian monarchy, but other times they did suffer persecution. When fellow Ethiopians refer to Beta Israel as falasha, a derogatory term meaning outsider, sometimes this became a bigger issue, like in 1624 when the ruling king's army captured many Ethiopian Jews, forced them to be baptized and denied them the right to own their own land. According to local legends, some members of the Beta Israel chose suicide over conversion. Since the Beta Israel community existed in isolation from other Jewish communities around the world, they developed a unique set of religious practices, in some ways, quite different from what it was typically considered to be Jewish by the other branches of Judaism. For example, an order of Ethiopian Jewish monks was founded in the 15th century to strengthen the community's religious identity and resist the Christian influence. This monastic movement introduced an organized approach to religious practice, creating new religious literature and prayers and adopting laws of ritual purity. This can be seen in one of the first Western accounts of Ethiopian Jews that describes a community that followed legal sections in the Hebrew Bible, observing laws of purity surrounding menstruation, birth, and death. They observed Shabbat, and they believed in values such as respecting elders, receiving guests, and visiting mourners. The community apparently referred to their Torah as Orit, which possibly comes from the Aramaic term of the Torah Orita, and kept their Torah scrolls covered in colorful cloths in the house of prayer and or in homes of one of the priests, called Kesim. The traces of Judaism within their community is obvious, and it seems like they got along with their community at times, but also did not get along with their communities and faced some persecution similar to their brethren across the world. Literacy rates among the Ethiopian Jews was very low, so finding records and books on on these topics is very difficult. However, we do have oral traditions that date back to the beginnings of the communities and very rich culture. When we come back, we're going to take a look at how this community was treated within their borders and how they ended up making their way to Israel. This is the Jewish Diaspora Report. We'll be right back after this break. The Ethiopian Jewish exodus to Israel began in the early 1980s after a coup of the Ethiopian government led to the death of 2,500 Jews directly followed by the Ethiopians forbidding the practice of Judaism and the teaching of Hebrew. The first attempt to rescue and save Ethiopian Jews by the Israelis was something called Operation Brothers. This is also sometimes known as the Red Sea Diving Resort. It became a film later on on Netflix. You can check it out. It's a great film. Concerned about the Ethiopian Jews' safety in the Sudanese refugee camps, Sudan being a Muslim country and part of the Arab League, Israel decides to try and rescue the Jewish people and bring them to Israel. The Mossad, or the secret Israeli military, CIA, whatever you want to call it, sets up a fake diving resort along the Red Sea in Sudan. The Mossad operative would sneak into many refugee camps and sneak out as many members of the Ethiopian Jewish community as they could. They would hold them briefly in this Red Sea diving resort until they could transport them onto Israeli ships waiting off the coast. Two years into the operation, it was determined that naval rescues had become too dangerous and the focus shifted to airplanes instead. Some of the small details, of course, were finding suitable landing sites in Sudan in the middle of this desert. The Mossad operatives discovered a forsaken airstrip built by the British part of World War II remote battlefronts. Though abandoned for decades, the runway was actually in pristine condition, not a single pothole or trench. The Ethiopian Jews, having never seen an airplane, were petrified as these metal behemoths rumbled down onto the desert floor amidst a spectacular dust storm. Israeli commandos deplaned, bearing assault rifles and rocket launchers. Some of the terrified Ethiopians even tried fleeing into the desert. 12,000 Ethiopian Jews were saved as a result of Operation Brothers. Following the success of Operation Brother, later in another attempt to rescue Ethiopian Jews... The Israelis worked on Operation Moses, or originally called Ger Arya Yehuda, or the Cub of the Lion of Judah. Due to the ongoing civil war, the Israeli government, American CIA, Sudanese Muslim groups, and other organizations agreed to sneak the Ethiopian Jews out of the refugee camps. In these camps, they were often singled out as being Ethiopian Jews and killed. Over seven weeks, over 30 flights brought the 200 Ethiopian Jews at a time to Israel. Before this operation, there was approximately as few as 250 Ethiopian immigrants in Israel. Thousands of Beta Israel fled Ethiopia on foot for refugee camps in Sudan, a journey which usually took anywhere from two weeks to a month. It is estimated that 4,000 people died during the trek due to the violence and illness along the way. Sudan secretly allowed Israel to evacuate these refugees in Operation Moses. In one more major attempt to rescue Ethiopian Jews, in 1991 Operation Solomon commenced where the sitting Ethiopian government was close to being toppled again, threatening Ethiopia with dangerous political destabilization. The World Jewish organizations, such as the American Association for Ethiopian Jews and the Israeli government were concerned about the well-being of these Ethiopian Jews and decided to act again. In order to accommodate as many people as possible, airplanes were stripped of all of their seats, and due to the low body weight and minimal baggage of the refugees, up to 1,086 passengers were boarded onto a single plane. May 24, 1991 also happened to be Friday, which begins the Jewish Shabbat, during which transportation is not normally used. This made a lot more vehicles available for the mission, as the Jewish religious law permits breaking the Sabbath for saving lives. Many immigrants came with nothing except for their clothes. They were met by ambulances with 140 frail passengers receiving medical care right on the tarmac. Several pregnant women gave birth on the plane, and their babies were rushed to hospitals once they landed. After a few months, around 20,000 Jews made their way over to Israel. Operation Solomon airlifted twice as many Ethiopian Jews to Israel as Operation Moses. Between 1990 and 1999, over 39,000 Ethiopian Jews entered Israel. These incredible stories of evacuation and rescue of Ethiopian Jews from refugee camps and the refugees themselves walking across deserts for days and months in order to reach safety in Israel is honestly one amazing thing about this community. Bringing these Ethiopian Jews to Israel has not unfortunately gone without its challenges. And in our next segment, we're going to talk a little bit about the modern day issues facing Ethiopian Jews. When we come back on the Jewish Diaspora Report... Stay with us. Today, the situation of the Ethiopian Jews in Israel can be described as complicated. The operation is still considered by most as a major success, and the majority of Beta Israel has immersed itself in Israeli culture and life. Though, despite progress that's being made, discrimination in Israel is still being perpetuated. For most of the members of the community, adjusting to the new Israeli society hasn't been easy. In the beginning, the new arrivals spent between six months and two years in absorption centers learning Hebrew and getting accustomed to the Israeli life. The Beta Israel community hasn't always been treated equally in Israeli society. On one of my trips to Israel with a birthright group, I actually had an Ethiopian Jewish woman on the trip who gave a little bit of a talk to our group about this very unique view on Israeli culture and Israeli life. She had mentioned, of course, that there is a unfortunate misconception within Israel that has created some of the discrimination that stems from the idea that these Ethiopian Jews are and have been given so much by the government as way of handouts and to help them get along. And there's a lot of Uh, anger towards them because it is seen and there's a stereotype that these people are lazy, not working, just getting free stuff from the government. And unfortunately, that has penetrated the social ideas of the country at times. In fact, this is typically not the case where Ethiopian Jews have, for the most part, become self-sufficient in many ways. Yet, for some reason, the stigma from the 1980s and 90s when they first arrived and the Help that they received from the government has kind of stuck with their community and created a little bit of hostility. This hostility really reached a point in 2015, exactly 24 years after the operation was completed, where Ethiopian Israelis demonstrated in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem against racism and discrimination. I was actually in Israel in 2019 when the Ethiopian Jewish population in Israel was becoming a lot more active in protesting. After the unfortunate death of an 18-year-old named Solomon Tekka, who was killed in Haifa by police. And this led to a similar sort of Black Lives Matter type protest against uh, Israeli police and the discrimination that sometimes black people in Israel were facing. Obviously, any death at the hands of police is completely wrong and it is totally understandable that these Ethiopian communities are trying to speak out against any type of discrimination and Israel has not always handled it perfectly. I'm sure like many countries, I always try and explain to people when we talk about these very difficult issues is, you know, places like United States and Canada are hundreds of years old and yet unfortunately are still grappling with these issues of, Uh, race and equality and making sure that there isn't any systemic issues. And Israel, which does have its challenges, is now only 80 years old. Even though the Israeli country has dealt a lot with different people from different backgrounds, whether it's uh, Mizrahi Jews, Sephardic Jews, Arabs, uh, Druze, a lot of people have different complexions, skin colors. Unfortunately, the black community only showed up roughly 1990s, And it has been a very short time for Israel to sort of grapple with these first-time minorities. And even though they're not perfect and they have not been doing as quick a job as everyone would like, we need to keep that in mind and we'll hopefully have them grow to a better, more equal place for all people within their community. In the end, during this Black History Month, we should look back at the incredible struggles and amazing feats of the Ethiopian Jewish communities What they dealt with within their own borders, the getting out of their borders and heading to Israel and what they're dealing with in Israel today is honestly nothing short of incredible. And in this short amount of time that they've been living in Israel, we've watched them flourish and become really an amazing and very integral part of the Israeli society. And hopefully we'll see this for many years to come and we'll be able to celebrate all of their successes along with the success of the state of Israel. This definitely goes to show how amazing of a place Israel is, that they will make sure that all Jews are safe, no matter what skin color, no matter what background. If there's a Jew in trouble, Israel will go and find them and protect them. This has been another episode of the Jewish Diaspora Report. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please check us out at jdr.podcast on social media. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.